economic instability. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 24th of October. A warm welcome to Monday's Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. China's 20th National Congress has ended with Xi Jinping confirmed for a third term as China's leader. In a resolution delivered at the close of its National Congress on Saturday, the party confirmed that the target of gradually achieving common prosperity for all had been added into its constitution. The terms complete rejuvenization, rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, socialist market economy and dual circulation were also formally written into the revised CCP party constitution along with the pursuit of high quality developments. Inflation in Hong Kong has hit the highest level in seven years in September as some Covid restrictions were eased and the territory started to reopen to the rest of the world. Official figures released on Friday show that annual inflation in Hong Kong hit 4.4% last month. That's the highest reading since March 2015 and was more than double the 1.9% recorded in August and exceeded economists' forecasts of 4.1%. The battle to succeed Liz Truss as UK Prime Minister has continued over the weekend, with contenders needing to meet a high hurdle of 100 nominations to take part in the first vote by MPs later today. Ex-Chancellor Rishi Sunak has gained the backing of 147 MPs, according to campaign sources, and is the favourite to win the race. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced yesterday he would not be putting his name forward, saying he was attracted by the prospect of a comeback but it was not the right thing to do. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Sean Darby at Jefferies. With a view from mainland China, it's Hao Hong, Chief Economist from Grow Investments Group. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks surged on Friday, closing out the best week since June for all three major averages. The S&P 500 rose 2.4% to 3,753. For the week, it gained 4.7%. The Dow added 749 points, or 2.5%, to close at 31,083 for a weekly gain of 4.9%. The Nasdaq Composite added 2.3% to 10,860, and it ended the week up 5.2%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index was up 1.3% over the week. London's FTSE 100 climbed 1.6% over the same period. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell to its lowest level since the financial crisis on Friday. The Hang Seng Index slipped 69 points, or 0.4%, to 16,211. That's the lowest close since May 2009. For the week, the index was down 2.3%, extending its losses for 2022 so far to almost 31%. The tech index declined 0.6%, leaving it 3.3% lower on the week and more than 45% lower this year. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.1% to 3,039. Over the five trading days, it was down 1.1% and it's 16.5% lower year to date. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled with a weekly gain of 2% and it's trading at $94.22 a barrel this morning. Copper rose just over 2% over the week. Gold is at $1,655 an ounce. U.S. Treasury bonds steadied after coming under pressure earlier in the session Friday, and that drove most benchmark yields to the highest levels since 2007. The yield on the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note touched a high of 4.3%, 4.33% in fact in morning trading, before ending the day flat at 4.22%. The yield rose 20 basis points over the week, and that's the 10th straight week of 10-year yields increasing, increasing the record, uh, equaling the record streak of all time going back to 1984. The US dollar index, that fell 1.3% last week. The euro this morning trading at 98.5 cents. On Friday, the Japanese yen fell further to a low of 151.95 per dollar after breaching the 150 threshold for the first time in 32 years the day before. However, the yen then surged in New York trading, ending the day with gains of 1.7%. And the Nikkei reported that Japanese authorities had intervened to prop up the currency. Looks like the same thing is happening this morning because the yen is strengthening further right now. It's up another 1.3%, trading right now at 1457 Sterling is up this morning after Boris Johnson pulled out of the race to replace Liz Truss as Prime Minister. It's at $1.13 and three quarter cents. Against the local currency, it's at eight Hong Kong dollars and 92 cents. China's onshore renminbi dropped on Friday to hover near a 14-year low against the surging dollar. The onshore renminbi slipped as much as half a percent to a low of 7.248 against the dollar uh, before closing at 7.24. And finally, Bitcoin dropped back below $19,000 this on Friday, then jumped back above it as the US dollar retreated. It's at $19,500 this morning. In Asian trading, as we start a new week, US stock index futures are up about 0.7%, and that's helping Asia-Pacific markets. Down in Australia, the ASX 200 has risen 2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 up 1.25%. The Cosby in South Korea has risen 1.6%. And futures markets pointing to a gain of 300 points for the Hang Seng at the Open later on. Coming up to 8.10, let's welcome our guests. We have with us once again this Monday morning, Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And joining him and us this morning is Sean Darby, Chief Global Equities Strategist at Jefferies. Morning, Sean. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me start asking you about uh, the National Congress. Uh, it's ended now um, at the weekend. Given what we've heard this weekend and over the past week, first of all, what changes do you think we can expect, Alex, uh, to economic policy on the mainland? I think uh, we are still more or less the same. Uh, probably they would try to stabilize the market a little bit, but I don't think uh, any drastic change will change. Common prosperity remains the theme, so that means uh, not much change uh, right now. Now, that's been written now into the Constitution, hasn't it? This theme of common prosperity, also dual circulation, also socialist market economy, all now formally part of uh, the the CCP party constitution. What's the significance of that? Does it really strengthen uh, those goals now? 
Well, I think that uh, that means that probably this SOE would become more important in the economy. And actually, um, they would have a more con- try to have more control on the private sector as well. So, um, so that means actually not too good uh, for the market. So, uh, I think uh, probably they would still maintain the same because right now, I, I think the this this Congress means that uh, a presidency actually is in uh, very good control of the uh, uh, politics size. Mm. I'm going to come on to the markets in a moment and get your thoughts on the reaction. But, um, Sean, let me ask you first, what what do you think um, is going to change as a result of this? I think um, one of the key things has been that there's little um, sort of reformist measures that are likely to come out of this um, uh, Congress. I think that's something that we would generally have looked towards at a previous uh, meeting. So that's one thing that will be missing. Uh, secondly, the economics and financial team will only really get uh, fully reshuffled in by next March. And that will probably include um, the uh, the chief of the PBOC as well. So mm. it's a pretty big overhauling for investors in terms of the structure of the economy and also how the um, how, how the financial system is going to operate as well. So given the fact that we've got a very deflationary backdrop for, for the mainland at the moment, um, I think uh, the new administration is going to be very much, have to be very much on the front foot to keep, the, uh, to keep all the uh, balls in the air. Some of the people of the gone, like uh, Li Keqiang, is regarded as an economic um, liberal. Maybe another significant um, departure is Lu He, who was um, uh, Xi Jinping's trade advisor and uh, or trade negotiator, and also his economic advisor. Is that significant? Because the markets liked him, didn't they? They regarded him as a stabilising influence. Well, he was, a, I guess, in a, in, a, in a way, he was a little bit like um, Hank Paulson. He had his hands on the plumbing. He knew a lot about uh, the economic system and did a lot of work on the electricity tariff reforms last year when we had the, mm. the blackout. So he really did um, understand what was going on. I think, um, as I said, that overhauling of the economics team is probably going to be quite a significant uh, change under Xi Jinping in, in his next term because, as I said, he's going to really probably need some technocrats given some of the economic issues out there. Do you think, Alex, I know you said that um, not a lot is going to change, but is that maybe the wrong approach? Do we need some economic change now, given what's happening to growth on the mainland? Well, I think uh, this is quite difficult because uh, they probably their hands are tied because uh, right now US is raising interest rate and the B actually is really weak. So um, if they use uh, further... Uh, monetary tools, then probably we will see a significant weakening of the RMB. And then also the public sectors, uh, people are just um, holding their buying positions, uh, buying decisions on, on properties right now. So that is creating a, a vicious cycle. So I think uh, they, 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 they actually need to do a lot of things as to stabilize the economy. So do you think um, we're expecting, or we would have seen maybe for last week, had the GDP data numbers come out around about 3% economic growth. Is that going to be the new normal now if, if economic policy doesn't change? Yeah. Have we got to get used to 3% growth? Yeah, three percent actually is more realistic. So I think uh, people probably would not expect uh, uh, five to seven right now uh, already in the future. What do you think, Sean? Is is three percent growth now going to be the new normal? Um, to some extent, yes. I, I still feel that um, one of the legacy issues of both uh, the zero COVID and some of the 
um, pressures from the real estate sector is that you've been left with a very high unemployment rate amongst the youth and maybe in the short term you need to sort of stimulate the economy to get that number down at you know close mm -hmm. to 20% I would think that that would be sort of uppermost in policy makers minds at the moment but I agree with Alex probably longer term trend for the next for the next five years is somewhere around 3% as you analyze the market Sean are you worried about the lack of information we're getting about the economy, for example, the, the cancellation of the, the GDP figures, the third quarter GDP figures, the September retail sales, industrial production data, does it make it harder for you? Um, to, to be fair, I didn't necessarily expect the data to be released during last week. I think that the, this Congress is a political event, so you weren't going to get any news on changes on zero COVID. I don't think they wanted the economic data to overshadow the Congress. So I'm not too surprised. I think the I think the thing that we're sort of looking you know looking at at the moment is that there are some quite significant headwinds and I and, you know particularly producer prices dropping into negative territory would mm. sort of spell a more deflationary bias and that's a very difficult thing for an, to turn an economy around from and I think that's what we're probably going to sort of somewhat see going into the um, Chinese New Year um, in 2023. Okay, um, Alex, you've talked about the markets. Um, historically, Chinese equities have done well um, shortly after the conclusion of the Congress, particularly in episodes where there's been a, a transition in the top leadership. What, what do you expect this time? Uh, I think uh, probably upside limited uh, because uh, we have a rebound in the US on Friday. So um, people probably would be a little bit uh, more comfortable. And also we are seeing uh, already a very low level in the uh, index right now. But I think uh, if you look at the market on Friday in the U.S., actually the, uh, the, the yield curve has dipped a little bit. And, and the U.S. dollar actually is uh, only weakening on the intervention of BOJ. So um, it is not a very uh, good sign for, for outside economy. I think uh, this is uh, probably good for U.S., but uh, not good for the emerging markets. So I think uh, we probably have limited upside. And also um, the... The news from the uh, from China side actually did not have uh, too much uh, encouraging uh, news coming out. So I think uh, we probably will see limited rebound here. If you look at the MSCI China, it's trading on 8.9 times forward PE, just over 11 if you exclude the banks. Um, that's almost two standard deviations now below its historical average. So is it looking cheap? I think it's, it always looks cheap, and uh, but uh, you you cannot guess the bottom during uh, a bear market right now. I think, and also uh, things are deteriorating uh, because uh, in the past probably China would be supported by the manufacturing sector, especially high end. But uh, with the U.S. sanctions on 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 certain uh, uh, components, I think uh, we probably could not expect that sector to do well. And also, if you look at the electric cars, only BYD are doing well right now, are holding OK right now, actually. So uh, we do not have any um, um, exciting points in China right now. So I think uh, uh, this time probably would be the difference. And, and the valuation definitely is looking cheap. But if you look at the property market, and probably you have to devalue the balance sheets, and also you have to worry about the balance sheet of the banks. So I think uh, it probably still means a further downside later on. So you still wouldn't be a buyer? Uh, limited. Uh, I would. I would hold on to several consumer names, but uh, not all the whole um, sector, uh, the whole the country uh, uh, allocation. Sean, what about you? Would you be a buyer at these levels? 
Well, it certainly looks very appealing. I think from my side, um, and I agree with Alex, the economic backdrop is, is quite difficult. I think if we've got a set of reforms coming through, um, that would probably change people's mindset because they could probably see some, you know, possible move up above trend growth. But I think that that's something that's not real likely to happen until early next year once we go through this big reshuffling of the economics team. And, you know, I think that's going to play its part really in, in putting in molding uh, people's investment choices so at the moment I would also agree with Alex it's hard to find reasons to you know switch out of you know money market funds at the moment and put the um, put the money into um, into Hong Kong or the CSI 300 bearing in mind highball is quite close to four percent now and if China relaxed its zero COVID would that be the one thing that could it almost instantaneously give a boost to Chinese markets? Yeah, of course. I think uh, people are not expecting that, and that would at least boost the um, tourism-related uh, tourism sectors. Mm. So that would be the one thing that would have an instantaneous effect. But I think uh, the point is that we still have to worry about the manufacturing sector and also the housing sector as well. So I think uh, even with uh, that kind of... Uh, uh, both, I think uh, we probably may not. We should not expect too much upside. Probably we would have a very swift uh, uh, swing upside upswing of uh, probably one to two thousand point in the Hang Seng Index, but uh, not too much. Sean, what do you make of these latest sanctions from the U.S. or uh, curbs on exports in high technology uh, to China? How big an impact is that going to have? It it is large. I mean, I, I have to say that. Um, the Biden administration Department of Commerce have really thought out their technology strategy in curbing China's um, ambitions in that area. But uh, what I would want to stress is that it's got huge implications for the overall Asia because it involves the foundry companies in Taiwan and DRAM makers in Korea. So it's not a, this is not being done in isolation. It feels like it's just been China that's been targeted. But businesses selling you know, semiconductor um, equipment from Japan, all of these will have severe repercussions from the Biden administration's uh, actions. So it's got a lot, you know, given that tech is probably the second or first biggest industry in terms of manufacturing and the exports for this region, it's, it's huge, it's immense in terms of its implications. And also, presumably, it's not just the exports, it's also the talent that China needs as well isn't it? Because Americans could be sanctioned now if they work for Chinese firms, so they're resigning um, en masse. Well, that's a very, I thought it was a very subtle uh, move by the Biden administration. And clearly, again, this has been a, a very well thought out strategy. Um, and in, in that way, you don't allow intellectual capital to be transferred. And that uh, is really important for what our process industries, which is semiconductor making, and again comes back to my earlier point that it'll have as big a ramifications for China as it does for a lot of the other regional players like your TSMCs and foundry makers elsewhere. Finally, let me ask you both about US uh, markets. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal on Friday written by Nick Timoros, who's known as the Fed Whisperer for his insights on Fed thinking. And he was indicating that Federal Reserve policymakers are starting to get a little bit uneasy with big rate rises to fight inflation. That gave a huge boost to stocks on Friday. What, what do you make of that? Do you think we're getting closer to the so-called Fed pivot? 
Well, I think uh, probably we should have uh, some honeymoon period in the U.S. market. Um, if you look at the market uh, uh, on Friday, as I said, uh, the yield curve actually is steepened. The, the loan bond yield actually is uh, still rising, but uh, the short-term actually eased a little bit. So that means people are uh, expecting the, the rates to stay high, but they are not increasing too much uh, later on, I think. That is uh, probably the indications. So uh, that is uh, good for banks in the U.S. Probably the banking sector will lead the, the rise this time. And uh, But, of course, uh, we have to see the results from um, those uh, large uh, tax companies this week. But I think uh, probably we would have uh, some more volatility, but uh, the overall uh, the market probably would um, would consolidate with, a, with an upside bias in the U.S. market right now. Sean, final word to you. I agree with Alex. I think um, the Fed has been driving the car or the economy using a year uh, rear view mirror. That comes with inherent mistakes. Um, the the pulse of these rate hikes are only going to move into the economy six to nine months with a lag. So I think it's probably fortuitous that they're beginning to think about sort of decelerating. And I suspect that the market has become very bearishly positioned with very large short positions on the S&P futures and small changes in the narrative or rhetoric from the Fed probably can lead into a really decent rally into year end, given some of the cash levels. Okay, that's great. Thank you both very much. You heard there Sean Darby, who is Chief Global Equities Strategist at Jefferies. Alex Wong, who is Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Twenty-four on the phone from the mainland is Hao Hong, who's chief economist at Grow Investment Group. Morning, Hao. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you first of all your thoughts now on some of the things that have come out of uh, the National Congress. First of all, let me ask you about uh, this change to the Constitution, writing formally into the Constitution: uh, common prosperity, dual circulation, socialist market economy. What's the significance of that? Um, well, the common prosperity concept was. Uh proposed in 2017, I think. Uh, and then the uh, deal circulation was proposed two years ago. Right? So both are sort of old concept and both are the terms that um, China leaders, Chinese leaders has been striving uh, to achieve in the past couple of years. And, you know, we are, you know, starting to see some of the effects, you know, from uh, working on the prosperity, you know, for example, uh, you know, the property uh, market restructuring um, and also, you know, some uh, whispering about, you know, tax code change, stuff like that. Um, and so it is not entirely surprising, you know, to see new terms in the Constitution. But then at the same time, you know, you, you, you can see that, you know, by revising the Constitution, uh, they are very serious about this, uh, achieving these goals. And on, on the tax code that you mentioned there, one of the concerns is maybe we're moving towards a sort of a Robin Hood style wealth tax. Do you think yeah. that's likely? Well, as you know, there's no capital gain tax here uh, in mainland. Uh, right? So people like trading stocks because, you know, it's almost like a, a casino for many, many people. They're gamblers, not investors. Right? So, you know, actually imposing capital gains, you know, can in a way uh, regulate the market activities and also, you know, achieve better results than many other tax codes in terms of um, um, income equality. Um, in terms of um, um, property tax, yeah, obviously there's no, there's no uh, property uh, tax either. 
Uh, so you know, people are um, buying a lot of properties, have been buying a lot of properties in the past decades. And now, you know, if the tax code change, that would have profound impact on the property sector as well. So do you think we're going to see a continuation of the previous economic policies or is, is this signaling that maybe we, we sh- something should, uh, we should be expecting some changes? Because there is going to be some quite big changes to the economic lineup, isn't there, come, uh, come March? Yeah, uh, I think um, in the March twin sessions, you know, we're probably going to see more details regarding economic policies, you know, and with the new uh, leadership, you know, who's in charge of economic management. Uh, so right now, there are uh, whispers uh, as to, you know, how best to approach going forward, you know, because as you know, uh, in the past two years, the Chinese economy has slowed down and also, you know, the, uh, the issues uh, associated with aging population, uh, property bubble, Etc. Etc. is popping up. Uh, so you know, I think many many people in the market would love to see more details on how best to manage um, uh, of these challenging issues. And we're likely to have growth around about three percent. So clearly, we've missed that five and a half percent growth target. Do you think China's going to give up in future setting a growth target? And maybe we've also got to get used to three uh, percent growth being the new normal. Um, I would say. Um, with the COVID zero in place, uh, it is getting difficult to stimulate the economy. And also, you know, with the property curves in place, it's also very difficult as well. Uh, so I would say that um, um, the potential growth rate in the Chinese economy is slowing down. Uh, I think this year we're probably going to do 3% and a bit. I think next year, because of the base effect, you're probably going to see um, a higher growth in the first half and then, you know, gradual slowdown in the second half. If COVID zero continue to be in place and also the property uh, curbs uh, continue to be effective. Uh, so, you know, th- there is um, not that many things you can do in the short term, but then in the long term, you can, you can continue to invest in the technology sector, uh, national defense, uh, agriculture, energy, new energy, and, and, and those those sectors are, you know, some of the sectors that um, China is making headway into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think over the longer term, you do have more options than the near term. Are you expecting any reaction in inequities as a result of what we've seen and heard at the National Congress? Um, obviously, the market is going to react. Um, but then, you know, even before the Congress, uh, you can see that uh, the Hong Kong, especially the Hong Kong market, is selling out. You know, many of the foreign investors are. Uh, uh, flashing uh, Chinese holdings. Right? So I see this as a, uh, a restructuring or um, the uh, reshuffling of the uh, shareholding structure uh, in many of the Chinese names you know, because you know some funds may have compliance uh, issue um, and to hold uh, Chinese shares. Mm. Right? So you know they have no other choice but to sell. And also the audit result, the Chinese ADRs are coming uh, in December. Uh, and I think New Oriental already is thing and saying that they cannot uh, satisfy the SEC uh, uh, listing requirement. Right? So more likely than not, they're going to come back to Hong Kong. And I mm-hmm. think people were just, you know, just inferring that many other Chinese ADRs would have the same issue as well. And if all of them coming back, then you know the Hong Kong market would be inundated, you know, with. Uh, this ADR name that that's going to soak up much of the liquidity. Uh, so that is the reason why uh, the Hong Kong market is under pressure right now. Is it cheap? I mean, well, certainly if you look at, say, the MSCI cheap. China, cheap, it's yeah. on, what, 8.9 times forward PE for that's MSCI right. China. 
That's right. It is one of the cheapest in history, right? So, but then right now, obviously, uh, earnings is still growing. Um, I think many of these companies are, are healthy and sound, and if you know they have huge market uh, uh, shares and also entry barriers in, in China, right? So their franchise in China is defensible. But unfortunately, you know, because of the some of the limitations uh, that I mentioned just now, uh, some shareholders find it hard to hold on to them, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to liquidate. It's unfortunate, uh, but I think you know, irrational times like this, uh, when uh, prices are going down despite solid fundamentals and also despite very low valuation, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there must be a trade here somewhere. We just find it very difficult to time the bottom, and that is the reason why we're not making a, a very loud call on you know bond fishing just yet. Okay, Hal, thank you very much for your thoughts there. That's Hal Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, SX200 in Australia up 1.9%, Nikkei 225 in Japan rising 1.4%, the Cosby in South Korea up 1.7%, and Hang Seng Futures pointing to gains of 250 points at the open this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at uh, 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. And the weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry. Maximum temperature around 29 degrees. Uh, it's going to be windy, mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. There is uh, 25 degrees out at the observatory, 65% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. A professor of politics and international relations says China's new leadership lineup signals a consistency in policy direction. Joseph Gregory Mahoney from East China Normal University in Shanghai told RTHK that President Xi Jinping had assembled a team that was familiar with the main population centers, and this could be used to drive economic growth. The point is that uh, most of these uh, people who uh, are, are coming in, um, they have, uh, in one form or another, uh, had some major experience leading uh, major cities. Um, and uh, again, this, this uh, appears to indicate, uh, at least uh, to some of the people that I've spoken to, um, uh, pulling together a very strong domestic uh, uh, international economic team uh, that's really able to move uh, the major cities as the, the focal points of economic development in, in the upcoming recovery period. President Zelensky has condemned unsubstantiated claims by Russia's defense minister Sergei Shoigu that Kyiv was preparing to use a so-called dirty bomb and then try to blame it on Moscow. In comments directed at President Putin, Mr Zelensky said there was only one man who could use nuclear weapons in that part of Europe and that was Mr Shoigu's boss. If Russia calls and says that Ukraine is allegedly preparing something, it means only one thing. Russia has already prepared all this. I believe that now the world should react as harshly as possible. Earlier, Mr Shoigu held a flurry of phone calls with his counterparts in the US, Britain, France and Turkey. The call with the US Defence Secretary was the second in three days. And the former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said he won't stand in the race to replace Liz Truss. Mr Johnson said while he had enough support to run, now is not the time. The former Chancellor Rishi Sunak is currently leading the contest. The BBC's Rob Watson has more. 
So Boris Johnson is not making a comeback, but it's not from any lack of desire or self-belief. In a brief statement, Mr Johnson said he believed he was well-placed to lead his party to another election victory. He blamed his decision to withdraw on an unwillingness by the other two candidates, Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt, to come together behind his leadership in the national interest. His supporters will be disappointed, but his opponents had feared his return would make Britain even more of a laughing stock than it is already. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. 